Hey there, welcome to the Pine Island Experience Podcast. I'm Joanna Anderson with my husband, Trigby. Each of our episodes will be conversations with fellow Pine Islanders. The goal of our podcast is to share with you our experiences, what we have found to be fun, and what makes the Pine Island Experience so unique. Mangoes are adapted perfectly to Pine Island. And, and one, one interesting fact about a mango is if, if it rains a lot while mango is hanging on the tree, while it's in its ripening process or maturation process, if it rains a lot, it, it puts a lot of moisture into the fruit and the fruit is less sweet. So the drier a mango tree, the drier the climate is while the mango is hanging on the tree, the sweeter the fruit. And Pine Island seems to be one of the driest places in Florida. And mango trees have a tap root, so they can get down to water if they need it. And they just suck up what they need. But if they get extra rain water, it dilutes to flavor the fruit. And you can, you can tell the difference between a mango grown on Pine Island and one grown on the East Coast where they get a lot more rain. The trees grow the same, but the quality of the fruit is different. It, it, you can, it's, it's a discernible difference. So I think in all the effects of Pine Island, the, the climate, the lack of rain, uh, it, everything is perfectly suited for a mango. The voice you heard was Steve Kukura explaining why mangroves grow so well on Pine Island. Steve and his partner, Jesse Avalos, are co-owners of Fruitscapes, a tropical nursery in Boquilia, and they have created a tropical fruit paradise complete with a famous fruit stand. Steve's passion is farming, and he knew that Pine Island was the place he needed to be. And now, here's Steve. Well, welcome, Steve Kukura from Fruitscapes. Is that that's correct, right? That's correct, Thank Stephen you. Kukura. Nice name. From Thank you. Fruitscapes. From Fruitscapes. Yes. And um, we're so excited you came today, and it's your busy harvest season. Although on Instagram, I think I saw you said it's the last harvest now of the mangoes. Well, yes. Um, well, this year, it the last harvest for the customers that we service because our harvest in general did not occur this year because of the hurricane. Mm -hmm. We'll probably be harvesting our own stuff next year, but we do have a lot of customers that we work with back and forth. And they, fortunately, they were willing to provide us with fruit this year. So yeah, and technically we were harvesting from them, but a lot of them were in Naples and Miami. And because of the, the latitude difference between Naples and, and Fort Myers, that little bit of distance in increases the or hastens the ripening time, maturity time of fruit. So typically, if they're harvesting one week, we here in Pine Island are harvesting that same product about a week later. So normally we would be in still in the middle of harvesting right now, but this week for them is pretty much the last of it, last harvest. Well, it looks beautiful. What I what we've seen your Facebook, your Instagram is 
gorgeous. Oh, yeah, we, uh, I, I'm fortunate. I've got a, a young kid who, well, not a young kid, a young man who, who grew up on Instagram and Facebook and don't ask me how to do that stuff. And I, I hardly ever go on those things, but he's on it every day, taking pictures and showing people what we got, which really helps because before I'd have to take a phone call and tell people what we had. And now all they have to do is go on Instagram or go on Facebook and they can see what's on display and they get a kind of like a up-to-date image of what we have available. So it and really helps working. out. You have a lot of followers, a lot of likes. I mean, it's, it's yes. great. Your yes. numbers are great. Yeah, they are. They are. Yeah. And um, it's not because of me. <laughs> It's, it is. Well, Indirectly. it's because uh, we got people who know what they're doing. Boy, I tell you, all I know how to do is grow a tree. Um, don't ask me to put anything on Facebook oh, or Instagram. Huge. So when you talk about the ripening or the maturation, whichever it was. Yes. I am not a gardener. Mm -hmm. Are we in the same zone as Miami? And that's kind of why you're saying that little bit of well, uh, difference in, the, in how far. Well, they're south of us, right? But they're not that far. Yeah, and technically we're in the same zone. Okay. We're in the same climate zone. But because they're, they're further south latitude, okay. it, they get sunlight fast or sooner in the year. So normally, normally on a typical year, your flowering starts according to the amount of sunlight that you get okay. or the intensity of sunlight. Usually that's what a lot of things get triggered off of. And they also get triggered off of cold. So cold stops sooner in Miami than it does here. The sunlight starts sooner in Miami than it does here, typically on average a week or two. So the flowering starts about a, a week or two earlier there. So it their, their season has always progressed about a week or two before ours. And then if you go even up further in Florida, you'll see that Tampa is the same thing. They're they're a week or two behind us. And if you can get a crop of the same stuff in Orlando or Gainesville, they're even another week or two mm -hmm. behind that. That. So I've, for example, I pulled some some mangoes out of Orlando this year that were typically ripening up um, two weeks later than what we were getting here or in Naples. So yeah, it's just, uh, but the, the, the temperature is pretty much the same. It's just that the time of year, it progresses faster or it's progressed already in Southern part of Florida than it does here. Even, even though we're probably only 40 miles North, 40 or 50 miles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's easy to forget that the sun's in the Southern hemisphere. And as it starts to come back on the way, mm -hmm. Miami's going to, pick it up. So you're going to get it faster than yeah. us. So okay. well, that's it's nice. It works out that way because they're not all ripe at the same they're time. They're not all at the same time. So it's nice because it, it, they're on a normal year, they're competition with us, but not that bad because they harvest their crop sooner and, and they get their product to the market, to the market faster than we do. But we get our product to the market at the end of the year and they, when they're out. Mm -hmm. So it's a nice, it lengthens out the, the harvesting time longer and it, it allows you to have a product longer. Right. I think the longest we've ever had a mango season was about six months. Wow. We actually started in late March one year, um, which is unusual. 
and had them last until October. And it was just, it, it's very stressful dealing with fruit for half mm-hmm. the year. Sure. It's so much easier when you only have to deal with it for two or three months and then you're done. Because <laughs> when you have to put up with the heat and the, the harvesting and the logistics of selling the fruit, it's just too much. Yeah. When it, especially when it carries on for six months. Mm-hmm. Well, we like to start, although this has been fascinating, we're going to go into this more, but um, we do like to start in the beginning, like where you were born, what you've been doing. We talked about it before, but... Um, if you could just fill everyone in on, you know, sure. your your background in your life. I, I grew up in Southeast Virginia and it was a very uh, somewhat mild climate. And I was very interested in gardening at an early age and it was a hobby of mine. And one of my first hobbies was growing chili peppers. And I just got carried away and started to grow 20 or 30 different types of chili peppers because it was something that I could grow. And little by little, that evolved into growing other things. I actually had a papaya survive for a couple of years because we were right on the coast. And there were years where we very once or twice got a light freeze and I was able to keep a papaya plant alive. And I thought, well, this is interesting. This is pretty cool. I don't, I haven't seen anybody else grow papaya up there. And then it delved into mango a little bit. And well, as I grew up, I joined the Marine Corps and and I just thought that, well, in order to really to further my future, I should get a college degree. So I went to side classes in St. Leo and got my bachelor's degree in business. And after that, I thought I would take a job doing being an accountant. And I did that for a couple of years and I didn't, it wasn't for me. And I was actually in Sarasota. This was back in 1998. I was in Sarasota doing an accounting job there. And I met a, met a man who grew mangoes and it, we struck up on a relationship because he had this fascination of growing things like I had when I was younger. And he grew 20 or 25 different types of mangoes. And some of them were actually grafted on the same tree. So he had a tree there that had about 15 varieties of mangoes growing on, on one tree. And this kind of brought back a lot of my my hobbies or my interests when I was a kid. And I thought, wow, this is incredible. Um, I love mangoes and I love all this tropical fruit. And I thought, well, where can I go buy a piece of property where I can do the same thing and have it as a hobby, expand my old hobby and grow fruit trees as well. And he says, uh, if I were you, I would buy, buy land on Pine Island. And I thought, wow. Never even heard of Pine Island before. <laughs> I heard of Sanibel Island, but where's a Pine Island? And so I came down here in my car and just started scoping out properties. And um, after about a week of looking, I found a five-acre piece of property on Pine Island. And I just bit the bullet and bought it. Um, I was lucky at the time. There was an owner who wanted to finance it. And it fit me perfectly because I didn't have hardly any money to my name. So um, 
I started to grow papaya. I started to grow mangoes and, and lychees as well. And little by little, my career just uh, in the accounting just crumbled. I just lost, lost desire to do that. And I just wanted to farm. And that's how, how I started all this, basically. Uh, I could go into more detail. No, but. That's, well, we have more detailed questions <laughs> okay. for you later about your products. Sure. But, uh, that's an incredible story. So you're following your passion. Yeah, I just, um, I wasn't worried about the money at first. I just wanted to make enough money to pay for that property. And I wanted to be farming. And that's what I did. Did he, um, it's interesting, uh, and the reason I chuckled is every time you tell friends or family uh, that you live on Pine Island or you work on Pine Island or something like that, that's, it, it's invariably, where is it? Or how did you find it? So was, was, do you know, there was a gentleman that you struck up the relationship was, did he vacation down in this area? Or a lot of people say, oh, my folks used to come here fishing or my uncle used to come fishing or something like that. But how fascinating that you're sitting in an office, strike up a thing, and this guy had, knows of this obscure island yeah. that you can't find. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's quite interesting because he actually would travel down here. He was, he was a mango aficionado, and he would do these pilgrimages down here every year from Sarasota. He, there was a, actually the property that I operate Fruitscape out of was a little, tiny little, uh, ca canopy, uh, hut that was set up in the summertime. And on the weekends, they would sell mangoes out of there. And he would do these pilgrimages down here. And he took me down here one year and he says, I got to show you this little fruit stand down in Pine Island where they have all these mangoes. Every year I come down here during the summer. And, um, that's how he knew of Pine Island because he was so in love with mangoes. He knew there was really no better place in Southwest Florida to grow mangoes than on Pine Island. Mm -hmm. They had been grown here yeah, for so long. What makes it special to grow here? I mean, is the, is it the ocean air, or just the general climate or? Well, um, so the, the first documented production of mangoes was about approximately a hundred years ago, back in the 1920s. Um, there were several attempts at growing mangoes throughout South Florida, on up to Tampa, Bradenton, Sarasota. A lot of those groves failed because of freezes, periodic freezes. Pine Island, being surrounded by water, was more protected. So it established a foothold here faster than anywhere else in Southwest Florida because the water mitigated the cold. Uh, we didn't have the freezes that you had inland. And typically back then in, in those times when there was no development like in Cape Coral, um, you could easily see a temp temperature difference between five and 10 degrees on a cold night. Now you don't see that difference anymore. Actually, it's warmer in Cape Coral in the wintertime than it is on Pine Island. And that's probably because of asphalt and the housing, you know, all that stuff generates heat. So obviously they are warmer. So 
now, if you wanted to start a grove, it would probably be better in Cape Coral, but where are you going to find the land in Cape yes. Coral? You know, for the little gardening that we do, I remember when we were in the Tampa area, almost every winter, there'd be at least one frost. Not a hard frost, but mm -hmm. one yeah. frost. <clears throat> and when we relocated here, it, and I, I had forgotten about the water mitigating yeah. uh, that thing, but it's like, oh, there's no, well, I don't think, of course, it can change any time, but I don't think it's ever been below about four or five. Yeah, it's like once every five even once every 10 years you get a, okay. a frost so it's not every year but it happens mm -hmm. but it all you need really to grow a mango tree successfully is to have three or four years without a hard frost okay. to get that tree to a good size and even if you have a hard frost after that the tree will recover okay. and be fine you just may lose your crop the following year so you know a little by little that that's what established the mango production out here and it kind of grew little by little over I, i've seen periods where mango land or mango orchards were sold off and developed into palm tree you know whatever was the latest fad mm -hmm. and then but now the fad of mango is coming back and i see a lot of those palm tree farms being returned to mango production and that's been over the past five or six years. I've seen that increase greatly. But um, other than that, as far as climate, um, our, uh, mangoes are adapted perfectly to Pine Island. And, and one, one interesting fact about a mango is if, if it rains a lot while mango is hanging on the tree, while it's in its ripening process or maturation process, if it rains a lot, it, it puts a lot of moisture into the fruit and the fruit is less sweet. Okay. So the drier a mango tree, the drier the climate is while the mango is hanging on the tree, the sweeter the fruit. And Pine Island seems to be one of the driest places in Florida. And mango trees have a tap root so they can get down to water if they need it. And they just suck up what they need. But if they get extra rain water it dilutes to flavor the fruit and you can you can tell the difference between a mango grown on pine island and one grown on the east coast where they get a lot more rain the trees grow the same but the quality of the fruit is different it, it you can it's it's a discernible difference so i think in all the effects of pine island the, the climate the lack of rain uh it Everything is perfectly suited for a mango. So you make that investment to go for your dream of farming. Did you then move down here or were you running it remotely? Um, well, at, at the time, um, my, my wife was a travel nurse and we were, she, she was doing an assignment in Sarasota and I was doing travel accounting. So as we would pick up a new assignment for her, I would just, I could easily pick up an accounting job wherever I went. Mm -hmm. So uh, at the time when I found Pine Island, we were in Sarasota and um, it kind of disappointed her a little bit that we weren't going to travel the country and go around. But eventually she got used to the idea and she liked Pine Island and um, we developed a home here. Wow. Well, we have to ask you about how 
you know, with uh, you met Jesse, your your partner, and when did you meet him, and um, when did you decide to to start to start, and what, and then you and you joined with the Snyders too, right? Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so when I bought my property, my first property out here, um, I struck up a relationship with a couple who owned a nursery one block away and they were they were it was called treehouse nursery bob and vivian murray they had been here since the 80s and they had been growing fruit trees as well and i thought wow what a perfect situation let me apply for a job with them and i could grow my own trees that i'm going to be planting in my in my yard in my orchard so um started working for them and um, immediately i they put me into management of the nursery right off the bat. And I didn't know a lick of Spanish and um, they assumed I did, but they hired me anyway. And so I had to learn Spanish on the job pretty quickly. And fortunately I was young enough where I could, I could learn it. Mm -hmm. I don't think I could learn it at my age now, but um, I learned it quickly. And after being there a couple of years, they brought on Jesus and they brought him on as a grafter. And we struck up a relationship where we would work together and we would do side jobs in the evening doing landscaping. And we just wanted to landscape with fruit trees. And so we did that for a couple of years. And um, eventually uh, our, the owners of the nursery, they, uh, they wanted to downsize and they actually owned the nursery and they owned that little fruit market up the road that was so quaint in the summertime. And we asked them if they would sell it to us, and they did. They sold their part to us. And there was also another partner involved as well who held on to his part. But we bought half of the interest in that little fruit market. And we started our own little miniature retail nursery and fruit market. And we, from there, we expanded it out. And they passed away a few years later, and... We, before they did, they had sold their entire interest to us and the other partner as well decided to sell his interest to us. So at that point, we just basically took over from where the treehouse, when the treehouse, when the owners had passed, we basically took that same business idea and created it right there on the Fruitscapes property. And just working year after year, making it bigger, accumulating more properties surrounding it to make it to make it better, and cultivating relationships with other growers here on the island um, in order to convince people to buy our product uh, instead of going to Miami or Fort Myers or even West Palm Beach to buy their trees. We would say, okay, you give us an order or you buy your, your trees from us. And if you have a hard time selling your product later on, you've got a guaranteed spot where you could sell it. You can just bring it to us and we'll sell it. Oh, that's so it was an extra incentive. Sure. And then we would guide them as to what customers were more interested in. Instead of planting some mango that was 100 years old, we'd convince them to plant a mango that was new and upcoming that would mm -hmm. have more of a demand. So little by little, mom and pops all over Pine Island, uh, we probably have 50 little farms that we've 
we've sold the trees to. And still to this day, they'll, if they don't have a market for their product, they bring it to us and we'll sell mm-hmm. it for them. So makes it th- things a lot easier for us in the long run because we're selling, it's not our fruit, but it came from trees that we made. Yeah, you sold them the trees. We sold the them nursery, the trees. And then they came back with the fruit and had you. So, it, it, yeah, it's perfect. So <laughs> uh, we made profit off of the, their trees and then mm-hmm. we, we profit as well off of selling their fruit for them as well. So, well, so you sell it to all over Florida. Yeah, we uh, we have we have customers all over the state that mostly come down in the summertime because that's the main season for assorted tropical fruits. But they'll come in throughout the year as well. But mostly in the summertime, usually it's June and July are the hot day, uh, the hot months for for fruit. Mm-hmm. So they'll come in. We usually don't ship anything out as far as fruit because most people come and get from us directly. Unless it's a really big order, then we can ship it out. But we also have customers come in from around the state that buy trees from us as well. Yeah. They're looking for something unique that they just can't find anywhere else. And there's, we have too many things to offer that it drives me crazy. Well, we bought, we wanted a Myers lemon tree mm-hmm. and we, uh, the first house we were living at and we went to your place and a very nice man helped us and, um, Bought a beautiful tree and then said, could you plant it too? So he came over and planted it for us because mm-hmm. we didn't want to ruin it. We, we don't have a perfect record with planting and sure. growing things, but uh, we wanted a, someone, a professional. So he, he came and planted it and it it was, uh, it was beautiful. It was just beautiful. Um, and we shared it. We uh, strategically placed it in between. We, we knew our neighbors really well, so we put it right there so they could get some. Oh, that was sweet of you. Yeah. And, well, we sold them that, you know, if they needed a lemon for their drink, they mm-hmm. were free to take some, which then they were a little less, then there would be no conflict on where it was placed. Sure. Right. But yeah. They, they wanted the lemons too. And those Myers lemons, I had never heard of them until mm-hmm. we came to Pine Island and, and a friend of ours had a Myers lemon tree. So we beat it out to your place. He said, we'd like, and then I remember he said, which tree do you want? And I said, what would you buy? You know, because I don't know. And so he helped us that way too. And it was a beautiful tree. Very good. Yeah, it, it's a lot of people who buy the bigger trees want help. Um, <laughs> it's it's not the easiest thing to plant by yourself. No. Um, and it, it's easy to stick a little plant in the ground, just dig a, dig a little hole and put it in there. But when you're dealing with a bigger tree, you... Most people want it done correctly Mm -hmm. and, you know, somebody to tell them, yeah, this is the right way to do it. Yeah. Instead Mm -hmm. of just gambling. Yeah. Especially when you're making such a large purchase too, you want to make sure it's done right. Well, we had good crops, remember? So when you said make the trees you made, what's the process there to um, get a tree ready for sale? So is it the seed from the fruit and then you take it from there? How does that work? Yeah. So, and fruit tree propagation is is a little bit different than your typical nursery plant. A typical nursery plant, a lot of times it can be grown from a seed and then they just grow it up. Or they'll take little cuttings and just grow them from cuttings. And most fruit trees, well, I wouldn't say most of them, but probably a good half of them, especially mangoes. So the most popular thing I sell is mangoes. What you need to do 
you have to realize that when you grow something from a seed, every living thing on earth has a juvenility period. So it doesn't become uh, an adult until it's gone through that juvenility stage. So a lot of people will assume that you can take a mango seed, plant it in the ground, and you might be able to get mangoes after a couple of years. No, you have to wait for it to pass through its juvenility period, which on mangoes can can average anywhere from six to 12 years. Other things like avocados are notorious for taking up to 20 years. So it depends on what you're growing is depending on how long the juvenility period is. Um, not only do you have to deal with the juvenility period, but if you grow something from seed, just like just like everything, you don't know what your kid's going to be like when they grow up. <laughs> and you grow a mango from seed, you don't know what that mango is going to be like. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten, it's not going to be as good as what you ate. A lot of times the genetics just revert to its more natural state, being a more fibrous, uh, less sweet mango. A lot of times you'll be disappointed with it. And you won't, e- you won't even know until you've waited that nine or ten years of your life waiting for that thing to grow. Then you go out there with a chainsaw and you cut it down. So, <laughs> so on mangoes, what we do is we, we, we have to take two trees and put them together. And you grow a seed. Uh, until it's about three or four months old, and that is becomes your rootstock. And you take a branch off of a mature tree that you know what that tree it produces. It's probably a named variety. And you take a branch off of that tree and you graft it. It's like surgery. You graft it onto that rootstock. So then you have a natural rootstock, and then you have a known type on top. And by doing that, you are taking a branch from an adult tree that's already gotten through its juvenility period. And so you can have a one-year-old tree that wants to fruit for you. I don't recommend that. You, <laughs> you have to care for the tree a couple of years before you let it fruit. But yeah, grafting is a way to eliminate the juvenile period and to eliminate the guessing of what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So if you get a grafted tree, and once you graft it, you know exactly what you're grafting. And at this point, we've got about 50 varieties that we currently graft. So we'll graft you know, maybe 100 of one variety, and then we'll go on and graft 100 of another variety. And we'll try to keep these varieties in stock because you never know what somebody's going to ask for. Mm-hmm. And you have a good idea of what the majority of people will lean towards. Um, but you try to stick with the newest and the best, the newest varieties that are out there and the more disease resistant, better flavor. And a lot of the fruit trees we do, also avocados will graft a number of other things, but there are a few things that we can grow from seed and we do grow from seed, but there's very few of them. And the ones that we do grow from seed are things that only take about two or three years to get through their juvenile period and things that are relatively consistent. When you grow it from seed, it's going to be the same kind of fruit, very similar. Um, but there's a number of number of different ways to propagate trees. And 
but the the biggest the biggest sellers are the ones that are the most difficult. Oh. And like mangoes and avocados. Those mm -hmm. really should be grafted if you want to guarantee yourself a good tree. Same with the Meyer lemon. Meyer lemon was grafted as well. Mm -hmm. um, we don't dedicate ourselves to grafting citrus. Citrus is a family of, of fruit trees that is highly regulated in the state of Florida. And we do not have the permission or the license to duplicate fruit trees. So, or citrus trees, I'm sorry. So there's only a few growers in the whole state that do have that license, but we are allowed to purchase the trees from them and bring them to our establishment and grow them from that point on. But they have to make the tree themselves because there's so many diseases prevalent with citrus. They don't want just anybody growing these things from scratch and just selling them to the general Wiping public. Whole yeah, economy pretty much, okay. yeah. And pretty much selling a diseased tree. So they want to ensure that, the state wants to ensure that nobody really sells a diseased citrus tree. So we have to get it from these certified nurseries. Mm -hmm. There's no regulation on anything else as at the at the moment. So we are free to graft everything else besides the citrus. And so citrus, we just maintain a small amount of, we keep that on an inventory as needed. Whereas mangoes, on the other hand, it's we produce them, we start them in the summertime. And we only do one crop a year. So we'll produce for about six months. We'll make mangoes nonstop. And then we stop and we rotate into something else. We'll make something else the rest of the year. And the derivation of the name Fruitscapes. Well, when we started, when we started landscaping, well, and when I started landscaping was back in 2002. Um, I really, I really wanted to do something on my own. And I love fruit trees. I knew I, I, if somebody asked me for a flowering tree or a palm tree, I would say, okay, go to this guy, go to this guy. I don't want to have anything to do with it. But if you want to landscape your yard with fruit trees, I'll be more than happy to recommend whatever you need to get to do. So I thought, well, what better way to advertise or to point out that I deal in fruit trees and pretty much exclusively in fruit trees. So I thought, well, fruit scapes. Man, that pretty much sums it up. So I kept that name, even though we have, uh, we do more than just fruitscape. We we no longer technically fruitscape. We're more of a, a nursery and we, we grow the fruit trees rather than plant them and design with them. That was my intention to begin with, was to landscape with them. But I, there's more of a demand with with selling the trees than I can install. Mm -hmm. And there's more of a demand with selling the fruit as well. So we just kept the name Fruitscapes. Um, and we also have an additional name we, we call the, the Fruit Market part, Pine Island Tropical Fruit Market. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times you'll see the two names close together, Fruitscapes and Pine Island Tropical Fruit Market. So it just was a catchy name and we just decided not to, not to change it stick with it. And you have a close business relationship. 
you know, with, with the two. Yes. Well, Pine Island, we consider Pine Island Tropical Fruit Market just the market itself. Mm-hmm. And then Don and Gary, they have Pine Island Tropicals, mm-hmm. which they've, they sell right there at the same spot. And we've been in business with them for ever since we, we purchased the property. They came with it, basically, (laughs) (laughs) because uh, Bob and Vivian, when they owned owned it before us, they would allow Don and Gary, Pine Island Tropicals, to come and sell their products as well. Or they were also employees at the time. Mm -hmm. And when we took it over, we're like, well, why don't you just expand what you do and use this leftover fruit that we have? and do something with it. And that's when Donna started making her jams and jellies and her bread because there was so much fruit that went to waste and we hated throwing it away. So before it went bad, she could process it and make something out of it. So well, she wins all kinds of contests oh, yeah. with it, her, you know, mango mania. Why even try? I mean, she's winning all the recipe, <laughs> you know, I mean, and then when you read what she's putting together, it's well, she's amazing. making breads with such obscure fruits mm-hmm. like mame and black sapote, and she makes these incredible recipes with it. You just can't find that anywhere oh. else. I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody sell black sapote bread commercially. Mm-hmm. And black sapote is like, a they, we call it chocolate pudding fruit because you open it up and it looks like a big ball of chocolate pudding. And it has a, the consistency and somewhat a little bit of flavor of chocolate pudding, not as sweet, but if you add a little bit of sugar to it, mm-hmm. it's hard to tell the difference. Or if you put a little dabble of whipped cream on top of it, you think you're eating a first class dessert. But yeah, she'll she'll whip up recipes with with anything I have left over. I, I'll I'll have a a crop of something obscure and I'll say, Donna, look, I've got something that's starting to go bad. You want to play around with it and Next thing you know, it's it's the new hit of the season. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she's um, she's they've they've come a long way uh, since we started, and I, I love having them out there. Yeah, and they call her Mama Donna. Mama Donna's, yeah. yes, brilliant. But and Martha Stewart recognized you. Uh, yes, what a few years ago. That was back in two thousand and fifteen, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um. They were searching for competitors um, or small businesses in in their American-made program or awards. And we we got settled in there somehow. We got selected and invited up to New York for the weekend to be part of their ceremony and selected for their awards. And it was quite a recognition. I think that there was a big difference between 2014 and 2015. I remember at the time when we were announced, I thought, oh my, brace, brace yourself for the impact because we're going to be inundated with people, Mm -hmm. customers coming in, looking for us. And sure enough, for the next two years, I think the publicity just carried us further than we could have possibly imagined uh, without it because we had people coming down from New York all around the country, really coming over just to sample our fruit and 
to sample her products as well because they heard about it or they read about it in the magazine. So now, what's a customer mix? You've talked, you know, you mentioned the fruit stands, and we've been up there, and it's fun to look around and stuff like that. Is there a commercial aspect too, in terms of um, yeah, restaurants or anything else, or is it primarily driven by individual sales or private citizen sales? I should say. Well, we 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 have an employee. His name is Elijah, and he grows vegetables for us. And he does service the local restaurants as well with the vegetables. But as far as the fruit, I would say the majority of our fruit, a big majority, goes just to individual individual shoppers. Somebody who wants to come over and grab a bowl full of fruit that they can put on their table for the weekend. And I would say a good large percentage of them are foreigners or foreign descent. Um, and uh, their attraction to us is because we have the fruits that they remember eating when they were a kid back home because, uh, not too many Americans remember growing up eating mangoes when they were a kid, mm -hmm. you know, they they were, grew up eating apples, but you'll have Jamaicans come in, you'll have Carib anybody from the Caribbean or Central America or e even from India. They'll come in and they'll want a taste of what they had back home and they know they can find it with us. So sure. I would say a large portion of our customers that buy fruit in general are of foreign descent. Now, a lot of people who buy our trees are locals, yeah. retirees from the north and some foreigners as well, but they just want something that grows here and they know Meyer lemon grows well here. Mango trees grow here. They'll ask for an apple. They'll ask for a peach. But I always say, you know, go with something that grows here. If you want to eat fruit, pick it off your own tree. Mm -hmm. You have to grow what grows in our climate. And this is what grows here. So stick with that. Mm -hmm. Probably So some tourism then probably drops by as well. Certainly during season. You, uh, But then there's less mangoes available during season. Yeah, right? so uh, we've we've got... Actually, two tour seasons. Okay. You know, I would say December, January, and February, we have the typical tour season come through. And we try to provide as much for them as possible. But there are very few tropical fruits that fruit in the wintertime. So a lot of them will rely on our preserves or jellies and stuff that Mama Donna makes. Mm -hmm. So that's what brings her a lot of, a lot of uh, business. But then our second tourist season, which is the local tourist season for mangoes, the mango tourist season, that usually bumps up in June and July. And, and so that feeds us in the summertime. So we're, we're fortunate. We get fed in the wintertime and we get fed again in the summertime. But then once that mango crop is done, then business just drops off a cliff. Now, when, now you have berries and you have nuts and you have spices. Sure. We, there's macadamia nuts grow well down here. Mm -hmm. And they're good source of food for your squirrels. Um, <laughs> <laughs> very few people are lucky to get many off of them. But mm -hmm. um, I did have a guy bring me in last week a bucket of macadamia nuts wow. that he harvested from his trees that the squirrels didn't raid. Wow. So. Um, yeah, you can grow macadamia nut. You can grow cashew. Uh, there's also another nut called Malabar chestnut that does well, and it kind of tastes a little bit like a peanut. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I've seen um, 
pecan grow down here. Mm. It takes a very long time and they need to be a very big tree. So I don't grow them. But and spices, uh, there's a number of spices that do well. Black pepper grows very well. Allspice grows well. Bay leaf grows fine. Oh. Um, I saw tamarind. I tamarind? Yeah. Tamarind grows very well. Yeah. And tamarind, uh, we, we, we have two different versions of tamarind. We have a sweet tamarind and a sour tamarind. Mm-hmm. The sweet tamarind, you just eat it up and uh, break it open and eat it like candy. Mm-hmm. The sour one, you have to make a drink with or use it in some kind of cuisine. And um, that does exceptionally well here. And we're finding new things all the time that we play around with. Um, cacao. If you've oh. got a wind-protected spot, you can grow cacao okay. fairly fine. We've had that growing for several years now. Unfortunately, the hurricane took out all of our cacao trees, and now we just have stuff in containers. But cacao, believe it or not, does fruit quite well here. Does it have a nice scent in the yard then? They, no, no, cacao doesn't really put off much, much of a scent. No? Okay. Um, one of the There's a bay rum, which is not used uh, as a edible spice, but it's a very fragrant spice. Uh, they use it, they, it was an, used in all spice, all, old spice um, aftershave. Oh, oh, oh no. Um, yeah, okay. and you take a leaf off of that. of that tree and it's very, very fragrant. Um, but no, not too many things are fragrant, unfortunately. You just, uh, the all spice, you le- use the leaves and you use the berries, but there's not much fragrance that you can smell. Okay. And vanilla is also another thing that does well under the right conditions. And um, there are some native vanillas that people are playing around with, trying to hybridize them to get them to bake bigger pods here. But they, unfortunately, those things succumb to the hurricanes. And mango trees are one of the toughest trees when it comes to hurricanes. Good. They can survive. They Even if strength. they blow out of the ground, you just put them back in and they... They keep on going. Well, we had a shaded lot before Ian. Mm-hmm. The whole, it's now in all full sun practically. You know, we just, we lost palm trees. We just, everything. Sure. Well, the canals emptied out. We came up here and took out a lot. So I'm taking yeah. notes about what ideas or what to plant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'll be able to, to fill that. it up pretty quickly. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, well, things do grow quickly here. They do. They do. And unfortunately, they, they really don't take off until we get, get the rains, mm-hmm. which usually come late in the summer for us compared right. to everybody else. But I think now that it's August, they should start to be coming more frequently. I, when we moved to Florida in 2000, I was so excited when I found out. Well, my mom was terribly jealous because then she, she said, look at your zone that you're in. You know, so mm-hmm. she was extremely jealous. But the beauty of two growing seasons so you you, t- you know your tomatoes didn't turn out well. You get another growing season, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it was to me that was wonderful. Mm-hmm. You have twice a year to, yeah, to try it, and pull it off. I tell people, <laughs> don't try to pull off your 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 vegetables in the summertime. Try to do them yeah. in the wintertime. So yeah. yeah, you get a fruit season in the summertime. Yeah. You get a vegetable harvest in the wintertime. Yeah. So it, it's great. Our soil isn't the best here. But you can always work with it. Mm-hmm. Little by little, you can make it good, make it work. So we just had Mango Mania, and I believe you were one of the main speakers at that. So um, your participation in that event, and and how did this year go for you? Oh, I, I couldn't believe the turnout. Mm-hmm. Uh, we 
we were worried that not too many people would come because a lot of people probably still thought that Pine Island was kind of torn down and, and inaccessible or not easily accessible. So we, we were hoping for the best, but you know, we, we thought that was going to be a low turnout, but we couldn't believe the, the turnout, the participation. Um, and I'm very happy with the amount of people who showed up for the talks. Yeah. Uh, last year we did talks as well, and it wasn't that large of a turnout, but um, some members of the Chamber of Commerce were convinced that that was a good selling point and that would help bring people in. And I think it was. I think it was a good draw. It was, it was like, here, you got this opportunity to learn more about mangoes, learn all these different things about mangoes. All you have to do is come on out on Saturday and visit Mango Mania and you can you can listen and you can go around and you can shop for mangoes. You can shop the local vendors. Yeah. So I was I was quite uh, impressed with yeah. the turnout this year. Yeah, I thought it was fabulous. You also have your own mango fest or you've we had used them. to. Okay. We used to. Um they they used to do uh mango mania in Cape Coral. And it kind of drew people off of the island. So it, it originally started on Pine Island and then it was taken to Cape Coral. And the main reason was because there was more space available out there. So we had to provide something for the locals here who the local tourists on Pine Island. So we did our own little event and we basically did a mango tasting event where we right at the peak of the season, we could lay out more or less 40 to 45 different varieties Wow! and have a bite for people to sample wow. of each of those varieties. That was very stressful getting all those together. But because your, your mango season lasts so long, it's hard to get all these different varieties together at one time. So you have to pick the middle of the season when most of them ripen at the same time. And so you, it's just a, a picking some of the mangoes and storing them to try to preserve them until that date mm-hmm. is very frustrating. So we did that for a few years and kind of gave up on it once they started bringing the Mango Mania event back out here. And we did the mango tasting as well on a smaller scale. It's very difficult to provide that number of mangoes for sample. So we'll reduce it to about 10 just so people can get an idea of the complexity, the flavors of different mangoes will provide. Are people um, generally hunting for a specific variety or is it more exploratory? I mean, you know, to the uninformed, you know, it's like an orange is an orange. And I know that's, you know, or a mango is a mango, but you're talking about like 40 upwards of 40 some different varieties. Yeah. I, I, that's because when I was a kid, I I grew so many varieties of chili peppers that I just love this. Fa- I have this fascination for diversity, and I wanted I wanted to collect a hundred varieties of mangoes, and I pretty much did. And I regretted it because it's hard to keep track of them. But yeah, a lot of the customers, I would say, a good portion of them aren't hunting for a specific mango; they're just hunting. They're just trying to see what a good mango tastes like. 
because they're familiar with the mangoes you can get in the grocery store right. that have been shipped for the past month. They were picked so green that they have to hold up the shipping process. By the time they ripen up, they're they're not sweet because they never sat on the tree long enough to get that sugar in there. Right. And some of these varieties that are selected for commercial transport have a lot of fiber in them too, so that they can hold up and withstand the the shakes and the tumbles that shipping provides them with. So if you, a lot of these people will just come in and they just want to taste any mango that was picked fresh from the tree. Oh, and okay. even some of my lower grade mangoes are still exceptionally better than what you would find on the grocery store. It'd be like going to a winery. Say, you know, I'm looking for something tart or fresh or sweet or yeah, bodied you, or and and you can you can you can tell people hey you'll probably like this mango because it's strong mm -hmm. it'll knock your mouth out when you bite it or yeah. you can you'll like this one just because it's sweet um and maybe this one because it's m just mild it's got nice flavors but not too much of this too much of that mm -hmm. so yeah there's a lot of complexity and differences and different varieties and and I do have a good amount of people who come in and want a specific mango mm -hmm. because they heard of it. They want that specific one and they'll come in and look for it. And you'll have it usually, right? Usually. Yeah. Wow. What are, um, what are your future plans? Do you have thoughts down the road that you can share, you know, with everyone, you know, uh, are there other things you're thinking of doing? Any super secret grafting? <laughs> yeah, super secret grafting or uh, new products, new spices, new... Well, wow. I'm I'm always on the hunt for a new fruit. Okay. And I almost on an annual basis I will travel somewhere, any foreign country that grows is in the tropics. That's what I select. Past few years I've selected the Americas, um, Bolivia, uh El Salvador, uh, Costa Rica, Guatemala, um, hunting for new varieties that we don't have here something and something that's obscure that they grow in their jungles. Um, one thing I've pulled out of Bolivia was a, a, a very beautiful fruit called Dugetia. And we brought it back here and have been growing it for the past five years. And so, and that is just to see if it does well in our climate. A lot of these things will be a bust, but my future plan is to keep traveling, keep bringing new things in because one out of 10 new introductions that I'll introduce will be a winner and people will want it. it. People don't want to see the same thing over and over again for years on end. They get tired of it. They mm -hmm. get bored of it. And then you you can't sell the same thing over over again to the same person. You so I'll get a lot of people who come in and just want the newest. And their first question will be, what's new? Okay. And, and I'll say, you go to those countries? And I'll go to those countries and I have the permits to bring the seeds back wow. or I'll get them beforehand. I'll go through the jungles and find the fruit, get the seeds back, grow them here. It takes several years a lot of times to see if they work here or not, it's just to see if the tree grows. And the other thing is, will that fruit produce well here? Um, but yeah, I've got a, a number of things that I've brought back that I'm still experimenting with. And I, 
every new property that I buy, I put these experimental plants on them just to see how they, how they turn out. Mm -hmm. And hopefully over the next few years, I'll have a lot of new introductions that I can, I can let out to people. But I intend to do that as long as I can. What was the latest? What was the newest that you brought? Or Ian might have interrupted some. Ian interrupted me pretty, pretty badly. Um, The last thing I brought in was from Guatemala. Uh, I brought in a fruit called Kawesh. It's 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 in the Anonacea Anonacea family. It's related to sugar apple. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like a hard skinned sugar apple. Um, unfortunately, they came from a higher elevation than what we are used to here. It's probably about fifteen hundred feet in elevation, and the soil is different. So that alone isn't a bad thing because we have we have plants in that same family that we can graft it onto and use those other plants as rootstock. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a fruit called pond apple, which is in the same family uh, as the uh, Kawesh that I just mentioned. And it's native here to Florida. It's native to the swamps of Florida. So it can grow in waterlogged soils. And so what we've done is we've grafted that tree that has been grown at 1500 foot elevation and not, not adapted to flooding at all. We've grafted it onto the pond apple to see how well it performs. The tree so far has performed wonderfully. Oh. And we've got our first flowering last year during Ian, at, right before Ian, but it knocked the tree back so much that it probably will be another year before we get flowering off of that. And then we'll see if if it actually works or not. Be your new one. Yeah, a new new introduction for Florida. Well, thank you. This has been fascinating. We had a lot more questions. <laughs> we can do a part two yeah, we do next part time. Two. Yeah, but we do enjoy coming over there and, and looking around. It's it's fascinating. And Trig's going to come by and do some videos. Oh, um, wonderful. Do a reel for your your person to put on Instagram maybe. Oh, or but Wonderful. But uh, we sure appreciate the time you oh, spent. And we've no learned problem. so much. And when you're ready to fill up that empty lot next door, let me know and... Well, I'll give you some more ideas to fill it up with. <laughs> That'd be brilliant. All right. Thank well, you. thank you for having me. It was it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed our Pine Island Experience podcast. If you have any ideas for us, people to interview, or any comments, please feel free to email them to us at pineislandexperience at gmail.com. That's pineislandexperience, all one word, at gmail.com. Don't forget to like us and you may subscribe to this podcast using all the major catchers like Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening. And remember, island life is a constant vacation. We'll see you on the next podcast. Bye.